Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The basis for our sermon today is from the Old Testament lesson, uh, Micah, as he speaks to the people. Well, there was an article that I came across at one time that gave advice to husbands on what gifts they should not give to their wives. The first thing they said is don't give clothing, because you probably don't know her size, and in trying to pick out the size, you'll just insult her. You don't get her household appliances, because like vacuums, because you should have those in the house anyway. It's not really a gift. Uh, and then the big one was, don't give sporty tickets. It's a gift for you rather than for her. And as I read the article, I was thinking, you know, gift giving can be complicated. What, what gifts do you give, right? What, what gifts do you give to your spouse? What gifts do you give to your parents, the kids? And all this came to mind as I read Micah. Because at the heart of what Micah is speaking is what the people were giving to God. What is it that God desires? People were struggling with that, or certainly were not doing that. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to go back over the Old Testament lesson. We're going to go verse by verse. And we're going to look and see what is it that they were giving to God. And what is it that God really desires? Because that applies to us. Are we giving to God what he truly desires? And so we go back to the beginning and it says, Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord. And you enduring foundations of the earth, the Lord has an against his people, and he will contend with Israel. So very clearly, Micah says that God has an indictment against the people of God. He's got a charge against them. Now in these first couple verses, he doesn't say what that charge is. But as you read through the entire text, it becomes very clear that the charge is, Israel is not offering to God what is right. What God demands, what God desires, and what they owe to God. And it's rather interesting that, that he says that make your case before the mountains. Hear, O mountains, the indictment of the Lord, the enduring foundations. The implication there is mountains are long, around for a long time, right? So, so the idea here is that God's people have been failing to do this for generations. And God's patience is wearing out. That, that the mountains and the hills give testimony by their existence to the fact that God's people are not giving what God desires. So isn't this a challenge for us? Could God bring an indictment against us? Are we not offering to God that which God truly wants and that which God truly desires? Are we not offering to Him what He expects and what He deserves? And that's what we're going to think about. We need to examine our lives. Is it what God really wants? To examine our hearts. Are they set the way that God would have them? So let's go back to the text. Oh, my people, what have I done for you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember that Balak, king of Moab, devised and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of our Lord. And so it's interesting how God builds the case to the prophet. Michael. He starts out by saying and reminding them what God has done. And in so doing, isn't he saying that you as God's people owe God something back? He's starting the case by saying how the nation of Israel is indebted to God for what God has done. And notice the focus on what God has done. 
It's the saving work of God, right? When you hear that he brought them from the land of Egypt and redeemed them, this is a saving action. He brought them out of slavery, and he brought them through the promised land, that, that God had saved them. And, and, and as he lists the people and the other things, he brings to mind all those things, right? When he talks about the Exodus, he brings to mind God's grace in saving them, that they deserve nothing from God, yet God heard their cries, kept his promise that he'd given to their forefathers, and he intervened in history and by grace brought them out. When he brings to mind Moses, in our minds, we're reminded, and the people of, the, of Israel were reminded, this is the one that God, through whom God has given the law, that God had given them direction. As he brought them out of slavery, he made clear what he wanted from them, what he expected, how they were to live, how they were to live toward God, and how they were to live to one another. What a blessing. He brings up Miriam, and what's Miriam famous for? But this beautiful song of thanks to God for having been saved. And so he gives them an example of how they to offer their praise and thanks to the Lord. He brings up Aaron, which reminds us of the priestly office, the workings in the tabernacle and eventually the temple. The promise that God had given that there was a place where he would be present with them and present to forgive them. That, that God and His one and His blessing had called this nation and promised them His forgiveness. And when He brings up Balaam and Balak, He's bringing to mind that, that the saving work of Exodus isn't a one-time shot. That God saved His people and intervened on their behalf begin again and again and again. And you put all these blessings together, and what, how should Israel respond? What are they to offer? What are they to do? Are they not supposed to offer a proper, faithful response of thanksgiving and praise? Of following the Lord? And as we look at this case that is made against the nation of Israel, can't the same case begin in the same way toward us? As God was gracious to Israel, has not God been gracious to us? Are we not to faithfully respond to our Lord? Because he's cared for us in, in much the same way. Has God not saved us? Not from a slavery to a nation, but our slavery from sin, forgiving us and removing the burden and the, and the carrying of guilt and of shame. Uh, God has intervened for us. He's given us the scriptures that direct our life and tell us what the Christian life is to be like. We heard Jesus say that in the Beatitudes, right? This is a description of, of the Christian life, how we are to live. He's given us direction. He's given us the Psalms as an example to pray and praise. He's given us the sacraments, a place where he has promised to be to bless his people, that, that we can look upon them in our baptism and know that we are forgiven, come to his table, and know that he is there to bring us forgiveness. That God has continued to provide protection, especially against our enemies, the evil one. He's done all of this, and how are we to respond? Are we not to respond faithfully? But how have we responded? And this is where the thing turns, right? Now, we hear what Micah brings before them. And it's rather interesting how this is put forward. He says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul. You see, part of the problem was Israel thought they were giving God what he wanted. 
They were following the directions. They were showing up at the temple. They had their rams. They had their lambs. They had their turtle doves. They had their burnt offerings. They had it all before them. But as they offered it, they forgot what the purpose in it was. You see, God didn't call upon them to offer just the rams, but, but the sacrifices were to be an outward sign of what's going on in their hearts. They were to come before the Lord in His presence with repentant hearts, recognizing their sinfulness. And they were to leave knowing that, that with this repentant heart they are to follow God's directions in, in loving their neighbor and loving one another. But so many of them thought, well, if I do the sacrifice, then it doesn't really matter what I do the rest of the week. That as long as I'm there and following and going through the motions, I've done what God really desires, and that's enough for me. And, and again, Micah points out the, how, how flawed this logic is when he says, does God delight in the thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Does God really delight in the slaughter of animals? No, he delighted in the penitent heart that brought these sacrifices, a symbol of their repentance. His desire was their heart to be changed. That's what he wanted. And so isn't that what we have to examine, right? Can't we also fall into that same trap? We're here this morning. We're offering our prayers. We're, we're singing our hymns. We're, we're doing enough, right? But again, the challenge is, where is our heart? Do we leave this place realizing that, that we have fully acknowledged our sins? And do we go forward with the intention of living our life to bring honor and glory to Him? Do, do we have true repentance, a true sorrow, the recognition that, that our sins deserve death and that they put Christ on the cross? Do we recognize that? And, and, and we are inspired by that to change our life, to amend it, to, to live that out the rest of the week? Or is it enough just to come on Sunday? That's the challenge for us, isn't it? It's real easy to, to, to leave this place and, and to kind of move on with the rest of the life. But again, our Lord reminds us what He truly desires when we get to the final part here. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. God has made it clear what He wanted through Micah. He's not the first prophet to address this issue either. Prophet after prophet has called upon the nation of Israel to, to cleanse their hearts, to live out their faith. And so God wanted them to do justice. But what's interesting, if you go through this list, the, the do justice, love kindness, walk humbly before the God, isn't this how God has treated them? And so isn't what God requires of them, what God desires of them, is to respond to others the way that he has given to them. Has God acted justly toward them? Absolutely he acted rightly. He, he was uh, justified in all of his actions before them. Did God love kindness? Absolutely. He didn't give them what they deserved all the time. He was merciful. He executed justice, but he did not do it uh, always. You see, justice is more than it sometimes can be used as an excuse for being rude and being judgmental. God was kind. That's what we're called to be. And then we're called to walk humbly with our God. And didn't God walk with them? He was with them. He led them. A pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day. He was in the temple, in the tabernacle. He was there with them every step of the way. 
And this is a reminder that all man's actions are to be tempered with humility. That, that we deserve nothing from God, and yet he's given us all things, life and salvation. And so we are called to walk humbly before our God, realizing that we are sinners deserving nothing, but God in his grace has brought us salvation. And so this is what God calls upon us for us to do. So often people ask, well, what does God want me to do? And we have these great grand plans of, and all about what we should be doing, all the while ignoring what's right in front of us. God's directions are really quite simple. And he wants us to respond the way that he has given to us. Has God not been just and right with us? Has he not treated us right? Has God not shown loving kindness to us? The idea that he hasn't given us what we truly deserve? And then it says walk with humility. Humbly walk with your God. Hasn't God humbled himself to walk with us? Then we just celebrate that at the Christmas season? The humility of Christ, that, that God would take on flesh to humbly walk with his people, to become one of them, to suffer and die for them, to give up everything for them, to, to die and then to rise for their forgiveness. And doesn't God continually walk humbly with us now? Because it wasn't just that God was going to be with the people in the flesh at that time, but so that he could be with his people always. That's his promise, right? He is present here today. He humbly walks with us. He comes to us and, and brings us forgiveness, brings us life, and brings us salvation. And thus enables us to do what he requires or what he asks. And you know, this is very free for us if we understand this properly. What our actions to be. You don't have to look for something big. You don't have to look to, to be a missionary halfway across the world to do the work of God. You can do the work of God right where you are. You can do the work of God by treating your family, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors rightly. You can do the work of God by treating everyone in your life with kindness. And this all comes from first humbly walking with God. Humbly recognizing that we are all sinners before God. We deserve nothing from Him. And yet He has blessed us in unimaginable beauty. And the beauty of this is this is something we can do every day in every stage of our life. For a student in school, can we not be kind and just to those around us? If we're working, can we not do that with our coworkers? Can we not do that with our neighbors? In retirement, can we not do this? And even if we're in the nursing home, can we not do this? Wherever you are, there are people God has placed in your life. People that God desires you to be humble before, to be kind with, to be just with. But the beauty of God's desire is that not only does he do this, but he enables you to do it by, by coming to us today, by giving us his word, by, by giving us his love. He enables us to do these things. Make clear what he desires, what we can give to him. Remember that list of things at the beginning you should never buy your wife? Heidi's right here. She can tell you that I've broken those rules many times. <laughs> but the biggest one was the... For very first Christmas, you know, that should be a big one, the first Christmas married. I broke that last rule. Never give your wife sporting tickets. <laughs> but she will tell you to this day, that's probably her favorite gift from me of all time. I got her hockey tickets up at Joe Louis Arena to watch Michigan State hockey, and she was excited. But the reason that worked, to be completely honest, and the reason that any of my gifts ever worked is because she loves me, right? <laughs> and that's the way it is with the Lord, right? As we offer to God, it's never going to be perfect. We, we were inspired by his love. But God receives it with joy. 
because he loves us. He receives gladly that which we offer because he loves us and wants us to be with him now and forever. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding guide our hearts and minds through faith to life everlasting.